What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. It's episode 31, and we have a ton of stuff to get to, including a lot of your questions. This is becoming quite the dominant part of the podcast, and that's really cool because your questions are fantastic. We're also going to talk about our favorite drum albums of all time. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Cliff Almond, and in our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Zildjian L80 Low Volume Symbols, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. That was hard to say. <laughs> Let's get started. Man, episode 31, the time is flying. Mr. Dawson, it looks like you have sun peeking through your window. That is a beautiful thing. I don't get to see your face like normal because you're kind of backlit, but that's okay. Yeah, well, I'll take the sun. I'll definitely take the sun. It's, it's, it's slowly, I, mean, I think we might be done, but I'm going to jinx it, so I'm not going to say anything. You know, the, nice. weather's, the weather's okay. Let's just leave it at that. If it makes you feel better, our weather is uh, predicting that starting tomorrow, we're going to have about six days of rain. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> hey, shut up, man. Kids can't go to school in that. That's tough stuff, man. That's that's water falling from the heavens. Yeah, I guess <laughs> The so. gods are mad. <laughs> and so, no, it's great. It's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I would say this last year was the first time. I've, I've lived in Northern California my whole life, so almost 40 years now. And this last year was the first time that I really – you could get a sense of panic from people like real, Hey, this drought thing doesn't seem to be funny anymore. And every commercial is about turning off your faucet while you're brushing your teeth. And every commercial is about not watering your lawn every day. And it was like, wow, there was a serious sense of panic. And, and as you drive down the freeway, it was nothing, especially from I five going from Sacramento to Los Angeles, constant signs telling like, complaining about the government and calling it the new dust bowl and saying wow. you know yeah it was it was pretty uh there was a little bit of world war z slash walking dead going on man so what, so, is, what is this news i'm hearing about some major methane leaking out of the ground did you hear about this no no i totally ignore all news <laughs> yeah no wait are you serious i mean it could have been some sort of crazy conspiracy theory i don't know i saw like a headline where it was like the largest natural methane leak in california history and that always do, precludes a huge earthquake. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sorry to well, laugh, but I did read this. <laughs> no, I mean, well, well, yeah, I mean, we'll feel terrible if it actually comes to fruition, and we, and then people are playing back this episode where we're just laughing about it. But uh, that is another great thing about this specific area of Northern California, where, California where I live, which is even when we have like the biggest earthquakes from the San Andreas fault, we don't really feel anything. So, um, I will be happy to, if anything happens, I promise to make some sort of fundraiser where all the proceeds from my lessons go to whatever Mike just made fun of. Yeah. Well, the earthquake will probably hit New York now that I acted like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you know what? I think what would probably be, you know, justice would be that both of our states fall off into the ocean. So that would be, um, and Oh, by the way, speaking of saying things that, uh, are not PC, the wife overheard, uh, I was listening to the podcast as I sometimes do trying to figure out ways that we can be better at this. And the wife overheard me say that Juno, my female dog was not my daughter. Oh, it caused quite a little thing. And then later that day, I'm not kidding you. There's this huge, kind of lump on the side of her face so we take her in and the doctors tell us like it's either bone cancer in her jaw yeah or an abscess tooth but we won't know until we put her under and we do surgery on her 
So now Amber is completely just telling me, see, so she's not your daughter, huh? And I'm like, oh my God, this is like the worst thing ever. And I mean, yeah, it was really bad. And then it's about an hour of Juno being under for surgery before they can tell us what's going on. So this whole time, Amber just keeps bringing up like, well, she's not your daughter. I'm sure you don't even care. And I'm like, okay, that's enough of that. Come on, man. Like, I was just, I was kind of kidding, you know? And and then uh, luckily it was an abscessed tooth. It wasn't bone cancer. They removed it. Wow. But I just want to publicly state that Juno, my female dog, is my daughter. Jack is my son. And so, Juno, I'm so sorry if I caused your tooth any pain by saying you weren't my daughter. Oh, man. Alrighty. We got some karma. We got to watch out. I know, that's why I'm saying easy on the methane smack talk. (laughs) All right, let's get into some listener questions. Uh, I I have a feeling, Mike, that we are going to have to do an entire episode of listener questions someday in the future because these things are pouring in pretty fast, which is fantastic. Yeah, they've been great, and they've been coming in basically a couple days after each episode's published, so that means people are listening. We appreciate it. It's mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can ask us pretty much anything, and we will do our best to answer it for you or find out an answer. We still have a couple from a few weeks ago that I didn't feel like I could answer properly, so we're going to hold on until I get some research in. But Cool. And I think the other thing that's great is the questions have been extremely deep and well thought out, and we're not getting a ton of how do I get faster with my right foot questions? I mean, these are like legitimate, deep drummer questions. So I, I, I'm, we, we obviously have some amazing listeners. So let's dig into it. What's the first one? The first one comes from AJ, and he wants to know, what's the best way to transport hardware? I have a basic four-piece kit with three cymbals and a hi-hat. I pack everything in the one bag, which is a snare stand, a tom stand, floor tom legs, three cymbal stands, the hi-hat stand, and his throne. Uh, but it sucks to carry, and it's best handled by two people. Um, if you're on the go and you have a lot of gigs, I'm wondering how we handle our hardware. I okay. think you and I both agree on one bag. Yes. Oh, definitely. It, um, yeah, I, I put all my hardware in one bag, and that way – I mean, the one thing that I can't stand is when you try to do the kind of four stands in your arms, yeah, and they're laying sideways yeah. like a like logs, and they're cutting into your skin – and then they start slipping like right when you're trying to get through a door, yeah. and you just look like a moron as they drop all over the floor. So I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, and I have tried to save money. I've tried to do the whole thing where I'm like, okay, well, I'll just get a giant duffel bag from TJ Maxx or from Target, and that should be fine. And those, I ended up spending probably $500 on those because they always rip through. So eventually I went with um, – Ahead Armor Cases has – what I do think is probably the best hardware bag because it's made by the snowboard company Ogio and it's just called the sled and it is incredible. It's 48 inches tall, uh, 16 inches wide and 14 inches deep. I've, I just, uh, had to take it, use it for a photo shoot and I had one, two, three, four. So I had four of the DW 9,000 hardware, uh, stands, the boom stands, which are extremely heavy and thick. I had a DW 5000 hi-hat stand. I had my pedal. I had my throne, had the floor tom legs, um, and everything fit fine. And it's got giant wheels on it that could, you know, go over gravel just fine. It's got a big handle, and it's got handles on both ends. So if you do need somebody to help get it up some stairs, it's very easy. So that's what I've been using. Um, I mean, full disclosure, I am endorsed by head armor cases, but I've never found a hardware. I will totally allow for tons of debate when it comes to cymbal cases and drum cases i think there's a lot of great ones out there but i really think this ahead um sled is pretty incredible what do you use right now that's the exact same thing i use 
Oh, you do? Yeah, and I don't endorse anything. So I, I, I burned through <laughs> every possible thing. Back in like when I was in high school, I used to just wrap my stands up in my rug. That was my, yep. oh, yeah. my approach. <laughs> that, was, that was not good. No, I've done them all. I've had you know various. I think what was the one? War, war, lot, war, Warwick had a had sort of like a golf bag that it, that I used for a okay. while, but that tore up. The the head sled is. I agree. You're not going to find anything better. Um, you might find something stronger if you go with like an SKB hard case, hardware case. I have one of those, but those get real heavy. Yeah, and the other thing too is depending on if you're a gigging drummer and this thing's going in and out of your car, not your band van. Then, I mean, the good thing about having this soft case with a hard bottom is that it's not really tearing up your car either yeah. if it bumps into stuff. It's also not tearing up your drums. Let's say you, for whatever reason, didn't bring a drum case. If your drum in your car is pushed up against this, it's not scratching your drum. So, um, and by the way, I just looked it up. It looks like the sale price, if you go on like any of the retailers, it's about 250 bucks. So it's an investment, but it only takes about two gigs of using this thing to be so stoked on that money that you've spent. Yeah, and, and my advice for trying to keep the weight down would be get the lightest weight stands that you can use. I mean, I totally I use some flat base stands. I even use some of the really old Ludwig like wire stands that I mean they 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 work fine. I mean, I think you have to be really wailing or playing on really unstable stages to need double brace stands and things like that. So if you're a gigging drummer. Forget about the double brace stands. Get some really lightweight. I think DW7000 maybe is their lightweight. Yep. And I use some of that. I have some Mapex stands that, are, that I took on the road that were great. So just get the lightest weight stuff that you can you can manage that's not going to just fold up on you. Fantastic. And who is that question from? That's AJ. AJ, enjoy your answer. And definitely let us know if you get one of these because uh, you'll be joining the club and they are very cool. All right, next question, next question is from? Next question is from Drumonimity. Drumonimity. <laughs> <laughs> Drum drumanimity? Drumanimity. What the hell just happened to the <laughs> managing editor of Modern Drum? <laughs> I, had Drum- to, I had to type words, not say them. Okay. Drumanimity. <laughs> okay. From the, uh, all right. Anyway, rocket. the question is, how do you keep from being so enamored with everyone else's drums and cymbals um, so that, to the point where you're rarely satisfied with what you already have and you're always changing stuff up and wanting something else? He says, I think oh. I'm set on what I have, but then I'll see someone else's kit, and I'm like, man, I need to have those sounds. Or I need to change up everything. Dude, he's totally asking the two worst people ever. Yeah. We, are, <laughs> we, are, we could be on the show hoarders with how much <laughs> gear that we've, we have, and it's all based off of like, oh, I heard that at Nam. Yeah. I need that, and I yep. heard that at my buddy's house. I think the, the only thing that has kind of solidified would be the general setup that I'm using, like one tom up, one tom down, uh, I've kind of really gotten accustomed to actually using a side snare. But yeah, man, I mean, God, since this in the 31 episodes that this podcast has started, I've changed snare drums three times for my main snare. Yeah, yeah, I think you it's know? a never-ending process of, of your you know your fine-tuning your tastes and your aesthetic and your ear. Uh, yeah. But that said, I played on a Pearl Vision kit. I think it was a vision kit it might even been whatever the pre-vision like the uh forum like kit. the x the forum yeah yeah I play, so that's as one, entry level as it gets yeah like they i played on one of those last night at a at a gig a fundraiser gig where they had a kit supplied and the sucker sounded great so don't get caught up in the needing to have the highest end the most professional stuff i think if Agreed. you really explore what you already have you can probably find some really good sounds but if you hear something that you just that you can't do or you really want to try out I think that's just part of the game. You've got to keep exploring, buying and selling, and trying stuff out. And 
sitting in on other people's kits, but just realize that at the end of the day, a drum's a drum. And 90% of it comes from your hands and your sticks. So, yeah. you know, if you put, you know, me and Mike on the same kit, we're going to sound completely differently depending on our our dynamics, totally. just our body mass, like the mass of your hands really plays a big deal in it. So, you know, yeah, be, be in love. Don't ever lose the love for drums, but don't don't be envious. That's the hard part. Totally. And make sure, too, that your ear is dictating the gear. And so when I see, let's say I see Thomas Lang play a clinic, he's got a lot of stuff on his drum set that I don't have, and he plays it phenomenally well. In the moment, of course, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's what I, I need all of that. And then it only takes about an hour before I go like, okay, when I think of drumming and I start singing drums to myself and singing drums out loud, do I sing those those instruments that he's playing? Uh, and I don't. I don't have yeah. octobons in my head. I don't have cowbells in my head. I don't have. I don't even have splash cymbals or chinas in my head. I mean, yep. if you notice, I'm one of the you know guys that I don't have a splash or a china on my kit. Well, it's because I don't hear it. When Chris Coleman plays it, I'm like, I got to get a china. I got to get the <laughs> yeah. the minor, extra dry, dark you know china, and then. It's only about an hour later that I'm like, I don't ever go in my head ever, but I do go. So I get a stacker and I make a stacker. So I think your ear has to dictate the gear. So hope that helps, buddy. All right. So the third question comes from Sean Paley. He actually bought one of the Modern Drummer 40th anniversary snare drums. He bought the three ply. Yeah. So I'm waiting. He's already said he gigged with it and loved it, but you know, he had a question that's it's not related to the snare drum, um, but I just want to say thanks to Sean for purchasing, purchasing the drum. We still have a few of the initial run left, so just email us if you want some more info. I'll get you some demos and things like that to check out. Um, his question is, uh, I struggle with rushing. The song starts, I get excited, and by the end we're 10 BPM faster. I'm sure not the only one with this problem, so it would be great to hear our suggestions on how we practice it. He can play to a click and be fine but when you take it away he rushes mm, that's a that's a really good thing why don't you go first on this one um this i think we, we've kind of touched on this before but when your tempo fluctuates that's usually a concentration issue so you have to figure out where you're rushing so is it during your fills you know so just play some drums and record yourself and listen back and see what's happening do you if you rush during your fills then next time you play a fill really focus on subdividing in your head or breathing um, a lot of times people rush because they're holding their breath and they're just so anxious to get through that difficult part. Um, so just really the big thing is to record yourself, assess where the problems are, and then try to you know get rid of those problems without doing anything else. And then just by focusing on it. That's something Steve Gadd said in his very first uh, instructional video. Was They asked him, I think, how do you keep solid time? How do you work on that? And he's like, you just have to think about it. You, I mean, the moment you start, you're aware that you're rushing, that's the, that's the first step. You know that you're rushing. Now yeah. figure out why you're rushing and then just yeah. focus on it. So as far as actual exercises, you definitely want to practice with a click that can drop in and out. Yeah. So you have one bar on and then have it go out for a bar and just see what happens. See if you constantly rush. Just try to play a beat through it. Don't change anything and just see what happens. And then play a fill and see what happens. Play a harder fill. Play a slow fill with a lot of space. Play a fill with a lot of notes. I just see what your tendencies are. My tendency is to actually drag. Okay. So mentally, I've got to think to drive through the, the fill. Um, in most cases, some tempos I rush, but usually I drag. So I know that's my natural tendency. So that's what I would do is just get a get a metronome that you can, or an app that you can program some dropouts. And then um, 
really focus on, I mean, get Benny Greb's DVD, The Art and Science of Groove. Sure. And then do his, you know, put the click, like he says, put the click on the off beats. Because that, if you had the click playing on the ands instead of the downbeats, then you're responsible for the downbeats. And the click just reassures you that you're you're correct. So that would be my, yeah. you know, even if you don't have a dropout, you can just have the metronome clicking on the ands and just try to play a straight groove with that and see what happens. It, I mean, it's it's something every drummer who's ever played drums has had to deal with. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's the hard thing. It's like we always see the end result. We never see, you know, we never see Jeff Picaro at 12 rushing and dragging right it's just you know we just see the final result yeah i think what mike said is really good identifying where the time fluctuations happen because there's two things that happen when you're playing in your band there's something that you know by heart um and that would be your grooves probably and then there's the moment where you're improvising and that's a completely different part of the brain that's being creative and so you have to find out which one of those is causing you to rush now the other thing is you are telling us that, hey, when I'm practicing and I'm playing with a click, everything's fine. When I get on stage with my buddies, the excitement takes over and I rush. And it's not that I rush and I know it. I don't know it's happening. It's when I get off stage. And, I, and I'm only saying this because I did this myself. I get off stage. I watch the video. And I'm like, wow. I had no idea it was like that on stage. I wasn't present for that moment of the rushing. So I didn't even – I couldn't pull us back because I didn't know it was happening. So one thing that you have to do is you need to start practicing your performance because one thing that I really had to figure out for myself was when I practiced, my arm movements were so much smaller. And then when I get on stage to perform, it was very animated and the arm movements were huge. Well, when I'm making these huge arm, arm movements to hit my drums, that takes a longer amount of time. My brain recognizes that and speeds up the process to make everything fit in a faster motion. Well, you usually overcompensate. And by making these huge arm mo movements and really moving your head around your whole body and jamming with your buddies, you actually end up rushing because you're trying to overcompensate for how much movement you're making. So what you need to do is spend some time really performing in your basement in front of a mirror and going bananas. And then you'll learn how to perform in time, not only drum in time. Great. Great advice. All righty. Uh, so we also got a letter. Uh, and this time we got a letter from somebody that we mentioned on the podcast. And this is, this is cool for me, man, because I've, I've, like, I started teaching out of this book when I was 17. So I'll read the letter. The letter is from Mr. Joel Rothman. We mentioned him on the podcast. Was it last week's podcast? Yeah, or the it week was. Before? I think it was. Okay. I think it was your pick of the week, the, the basic drumming book. Yeah, the big pink book, yeah. man. I love that thing. So we were talking about Joel Rothman's um, books. So he heard the podcast and he wrote in. He wanted to say, uh, one of the teachers on my mailing list just sent me episode, oh, I guess it was episode 29 oh, yeah, so of your podcast. And you guys talked about my book, Basic Drumming. Of course, I have to thank you so much, especially since it was talked about in such a positive way. I truly appreciate it. And then he went on just to give us kind of an update on who, because I said, I, I don't know who this guy is. Is yeah. he a drummer? Is he a real what is guy? He? Yeah. <laughs> is he a real guy? Is it just some random publishing company? So he wrote us. So I wanted to read the letter because I thought it was fantastic. He said, during the discussion, one of you asked, who is this guy anyway, and is he an actual drummer? <laughs> yeah. The question was kind of amusing since I've written so many drum books. It would be funny to discover I don't even know how to play the instrument. Just to enlighten you, in case you're not aware, I'm turning 78, and I'm a true blue New Yorker. I taught at in the NYC school system for many years, and during that time, I gigged in the tri-state area, playing private functions, nightclubs, and shows. During that entire period, in fact, from the age of 16, I was writing and publishing my books. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I studied from all the top teachers of the time, including 
Jim Chapin, Sonny Igo, Ed Shaughnessy, Goldberg, etc. The list goes on and on. Most all of them have sadly passed away. When I finally stopped teaching in school, I took a trip to England to promote my books throughout Europe. In this time, I married an Englishwoman and now reside in London. But my business is still run out of New Jersey by the distributor Charles Dumont and Son. I continue. I just continue to write and promote books, and I have a large teaching practice. However, I only take advanced students and pro players who are interested in learning my particular system. Believe it or not, my favorite instrument is the piano, but I rarely get a chance to practice anymore. I seem to be riddled with osteoarthritis. Drummers would be okay if it wasn't for all that noise. (laughs) Uh, It was mentioned I was an inspiration for the owner whose book I first published. I didn't realize that, but I'm glad to hear it. Oh, he's talking about Ron Spignardi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I also write humor books for children and adults. I even did a stint for a year of, st- of being a stand-up comic, okay. the hardest thing I've ever done. I'd come with bruises from the tomatoes thrown. You guys might think tomatoes are soft and couldn't cause bruises, but not when they're in cans. Ba-dum-tsh. Ah, see? Yeah. Oh, look at him. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the kind of jokes that forced me off stage and back to drum books. I can't recall did I ever send you any of my humor books. If not, please let me know, and I will send you some. They are for the ages of 7 to 11. That is awesome, man. That is so cool. 78 years old. He's written a ton of books. And he's still doing it. Just chilling in London with the wife. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, uh, so huge thanks to Joel Rothman for listening and writing in because, like I said, I've been teaching out of that book since I was 17. And every time somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want to start teaching drums, where should I start? I always say, first of all, you need to come up with – you got to get your basic book. Like, what is your go-to? You know, my, I'm sure for my teacher it was Carmine's uh, Realistic Rock. Oh, right. You know, because yeah. it just kept, it, no matter what I said, he was like, "Oh, open Realistic Rock to this page." And I was like, "I don't." That has nothing to do with what I just <laughs> asked you. But every every teacher has to have their kind of go-to basic book. And for when I tell people to start, you know, that want to start teaching, I always recommend Basic Drumming by Joel Rothman. So it's fantastic. Yeah, and he started the uh, the email by saying, "Ask me if I'd received re- review copies of his three latest books." I mean, he's got one called "Drumming in the Rhythm of Rock," "Linear Jazz Drumming," and "The New Rudiments." I mean, the guy is just prolific. Dude, that's so awesome! <laughs> just <laughs> killing it. Well, uh, yes, Joel, please send those to Mike, and then Mike can forward them on to me. I would love to check them out. All right, let's get into some good stuff. So, I wanted to talk to you about your favorite drum album. You and I, you know, I think that we're always as drummers trying to come up with like I'm listening to the coolest thing that no one's ever heard of right now but at the same time if you've played as long as we have at some point you had to be a drum nerd uh, I still am and and I think on some level you still are yeah. but I just kind of wanted to talk about what is your favorite like kind of drum geek album where you didn't listen for the music you listened specifically for the drumming um, well I I thought about my answer as which ones have kind of remained in my okay. my go-to because nice. I early on I spent a lot of time listening to Dave Weckl solo records um uh John Schofield with Dennis Chambers uh John Patitucci with Vinnie Cayuta all you know all this stuff that Chad Wackerman's solo records pretty much sure. if a drummer put a record out I bought it from like age 13 to 21 didn't matter what yeah, it was same, Bill Stewart same anybody uh, but the yeah. the two that have stuck with me that I still go to from time to time is the Vinnie, Vinnie Coyote's solo record um, and Tony Williams' Believe It. Ooh, those are the two okay. heavies, and I, I those have stuck with me because not only is the drumming you know, outrageous and incredible, but there's also some artistry there that you that you don't necessarily get from every drummer led record. 
Nice. It's not like a lot of drummer led records are kind of like a resume. Like they have to show all their different styles and one straight ahead jazz thing, one fusion thing, maybe something, a lot of double bass. These two records are kind of like this is Vinny just putting out his, you know, whatever's in the back of his. Some songs don't even have drums on them, it's just like a program loop. Right. It's like yeah, a. Yeah. So I just love that. And Tony's Believe It record is just, I mean, it just balls to the wall. And that's that's kind of the defining fusion drum record like i think that's where steve smith and vinnie and weckle and gad and all these guys got their stuff from was from believe it wow nice man very cool blush does and how, all that stuff yeah 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 and how are the recordings themselves are they can you hear the drums and is it is it well recorded believe it is recorded beautifully and unlike his earlier solo record emergency okay that one is so harsh i just can't listen to it Believe It is just really great. Right. Alan Holdsworth is on guitar. I think he was a teenager at the time. Just ripping okay. it up. So that is an amazing record. Vinny's record was recorded in the 90s, so it, it's got a little bit of digital sheen, but it's it still sounds great. And he just has all kinds of cool stuff. He does like a drum battle with Bruce Lee on the last track. What? Yeah, there's like some Bruce Lee, like over like his voice is overdubbed, and he kind of battles with it a little bit. That is awesome. It's pretty awesome. And there's I think there's a tune called Slink on Vinny's record that's – it's almost a direct tribute to the Believe It record. It's kind of like what Vinny would Vinny's version of the Tony stuff. Oh, that's really cool, yeah, man. So those Very are my cool. two my two picks. They still every you know, I don't put them on a ton anymore because I'm just not playing that kind of music. But probably once right. every six months, I put them on. Yeah, I like I like the type of albums that maybe you've grown stylistically not past it by any means, but out of it. But then when you listen to it, you remember, you don't look back on it and go like, oh, I can't believe I was ever into this. You go, wow, I should get back into this. Yeah, like I, I wish forgot I could how, play this music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took a decade off of listening to this album and it's still just as impressive. Yeah. I haven't grown at all. I'm going to go kill myself. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say I have one, like the one that has been with me since I was seven, six or seven years old, and it's still the one. But I'll, I'll lead up to that. The one before that would be live and very plugged in by the Dave Weckl Band. Oh, yeah. uh, that changed everything for me as far as what drum tones could be. Um, made me realize that if you wanted to play all over the place and really, really drum your, your ass off, you could make your own band. Instead of annoying your bandmates, yeah. you, you know, and, th- and that really opened my eyes to that. It had always been done, but it made me go, oh, that's right, like, Buddy Rich wasn't doing all of that in someone else's band. He was in the Buddy Rich big band. And Dave Weckl, you know, who can play pocket all day long, made the Dave Weckl band. And when you go see the Dave Weckl band, and I've seen them many times, you don't think like, wow, he sure has a lot of solos. It's like, hell yeah, he does. It's the Dave Weckl band. <laughs> it would be, but I also saw Dave Weckl with the um, blues guitar player. Is it Chuck Loeb, I believe? Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw Dave play with that, and he literally played a blues gig mm-hmm. and played his ass off in a blues gig. But there were no, you know, I think there was one solo towards the end of the night, maybe because Chuck realized at Yoshi's, hey, there's a lot of Weckl fans here. But Dave, you know, could do fine. But in the Dave Weckl band, he goes for it. But I really, I can actually still dig on the music that's on that album, where some of the earlier stuff, like Multiplicity and Synergy, uh, Master Plan, it's it's very stylistically based in the time period. Yeah. Um, the Dave Weckl live and very plugged in. It I still love that stuff. So that's that's leading up to my favorite album of all time. My favorite drum geek album of all time is Billy Cobham's Spectrum. Uh, I almost picked that one. 
I'm glad you know it's funny like when you started talking I was like please don't tell me we did guys listening at home guys and girls we don't talk (laughs) before this about this there's no like production meeting where we get the podcast ready so as he was talking I was like please don't pick Spectrum please don't pick Spectrum Uh, so that is is it really that's that is my my father gave me that album when I was like six or seven years old and he said if you can ever play anything on this album I'll buy you a new drum set and it was a like an actual LP. It was an album. So I played that thing every day. And then eventually, um, I think I learned uh, whatever that slow pocket tune is. It's got Spectrum. that like drive. Yeah. Oh, no, the, the title track. Is it called Stratus? Yeah, I think it's Stratus. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, then my dad was like, oh, well, I didn't. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> but what about yeah, all those spills so, at the end, though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I couldn't. And I... You know, uh, I I don't want to sing it, but I love that album. I absolutely love that album. And I was I. What's funny is I thought I could play it, and now I'm 39 years old, and I still can't play any of those songs. What the I, way that they that were record, played. I love because he has little vignettes of drum solos that are just outrageous, machine gunnery, and then he'll right. play like a straight up funk song in seven or totally and kill it and. God, I mean, I was, you know, I think it, I, as a kid, it was just an album. I knew nothing about anything. It was just there. Then once I started recording and doing like actual albums in real studios, I started thinking like, wait, I don't understand how they, how did the guitar player make those effects or the keyboard player make those effects at that time? Like those effects didn't exist. Yeah. And it's like, I just had this vision in my head of these guys, like literally just, touching wires together with things <laughs> connected to their gear just being like let's see what this does i mean it's it's just an amazing album so definitely check out spectrum by billy cobham that is that is my pick for sure and that Could opening double the bass crew holy moly is that called oh. quadrant four or something like that yeah the and the, you mean the shuffle one yeah that's ridiculous yeah oh it's it's hot for teacher before hot for teacher yeah and just you on know octane yeah yeah i learned and then uh we should we should do a whole podcast on that one album. So if you don't have that album, check it out. It's it's quite incredible. All right, let's talk about our featured artist this time. This comes from the April issue of Modern Drummer. You guys did a feature on a fantastic drummer that I definitely think he's kind of one of those guys that's too busy to get the drum attention that he deserves, but he is an absolute stud, and his name is Cliff Almond. I was hip to Cliff Almond through my kind of study of of keith carlock and wayne krantz Mm. and all of a sudden i saw someone else playing with wayne krantz besides you know in video form besides keith and it happened to be cliff almond and then i found out that he did lessons so i started checking out his lessons and he wrote blogs and and then all of a sudden it was like oh you don't know who cliff almond is he's been around forever holy crap where the hell where have i been you know and very much so like Dax or Zach Danzinger. It's just if you know, if you're in the scene and you're in the East Coast scene, maybe you know about it. But here on the West Coast, I, I honestly didn't know who he was until maybe four or five years ago. But ever since I've been a huge fan of his. So um how how long have you known about Cliff Almond? That's funny because when I when I first moved up here from Philadelphia, I didn't I didn't know anything about who was on the scene or whatever. I knew all the big names, Sean Pelton and the guys who were on TV, but I didn't know anyone who was kind of just working around town. But a lot of my friends would go to these jam sessions like late at night. And I just wouldn't go because I had to be here at 9 o'clock in the morning. And they would come into the next time we get together and be like, dude, this guy Cliff is just killing. I'm like, who is this guy? Cliff. 
Like, why have I never heard of this guy? Like, you would not believe how. And it'd be different. Like, it'd be a blues jam, and he would show up. It'd be like a, a, a top forty jam, and he'd show up. It'd be a jazz jam, and he'd show up. So, he just I just kept hearing his name and hearing his name, and then I was like, well, what? Who's he playing with? And at the time, he was doing a lot of vocal jazz stuff. Okay, which are great gigs. I think he was on Manhattan Transfer a, a lot, maybe. Uh, great gigs, but not like drum gigs. You know, you're, right. you're serving the music and you're supporting the singers. So I think that kind of stalled his attention in the drum community. I Got mean, it. just a little bit. Uh, and then, but then once he started hooking up with Wayne Krantz and some and Michelle Camilo, that's kind of yeah. been the thing. That's a that's a huge drum chair to, to sit in. Uh, that's when he kind of popped up. Uh, more on the drum radar so i've kind of had him just in the back of my mind for for over a decade of like we got to do something with this guy when it makes sense like when he gets something where it's like you can go see the guy rip on the drums right uh so really the turning point for me was when i saw that vic firth uh performance spotlight video on their youtube channel Mm -hmm. there's two versions there's one without a click and then there's one where he played they they mix it with the click in so if you hear him play without the click it just sounds like he's playing free form all over the all over the map tempo wise just just a lot of textures and colors but then you watch the one that has the click track in it and you realize this dude is playing to a click like he's not hitting the one ever but he's playing to a metronome everything he's doing is in time that just blew me away it's it's it definitely has that zach danziger kind of loose against the grid kind of feel but he also has like the weckle kind of fluidity around the kit yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's right in the beginning of the article how he kind of is a self-professed Weckl fanatic or was, you know, and, and kind of modeled himself after that. One thing that I saw uh, in the article that you guys wrote was that I think is not a good thing for Dave Weckl, which is that it says that he got the, you know, uh, Michelle Camille gig from just writing letters to Dave Weckl. <laughs> and I just am really scared that everyone that wants an amazing fusion gig will now start writing more letters to Dave Weckl. Like, hey, get me a gig too. Get me a gig too. Just so you know, that's a very once-in-a-lifetime thing, people. Please do not write <laughs> letters to Dave Weckl asking for, you know, hey, by the way, if there's any gigs you don't want to do right now, I'm totally down. <laughs> you know, but there but, is uh, something to be said about if you want to do something that one of your idols is doing, you've got to get to know them. You've got to go hang out with them. You've got to get in their uh-huh. scene. You can't just be in Wichita, Kansas, wishing you were playing with Michelle Camilo. You've got, yeah, to, I agree. you've got to go to New York. You've got to be at every gig. I mean, you can talk to anyone who's who's broken through. They'll say they spent probably years just sitting by the drum riser, just being a fan. And then eventually, oh, yeah, I mean, sure. it's feel like we talk about Mark Giuliano at every show, but he was telling me like he got the gig with Avishai Cohen because he was at every gig. He was a Jeff Boward freak, so he was just hanging out there. And eventually, Avishai just said, "Hey, you want to play?" And wow. and that was it. That his career just took off. And he was he was just a he was a college student, and then all of a sudden he was Avishai Cohen's drummer, right? Because he just Unreal, was at right? every gig. He was just hanging out. So I think there is a bit of, you know, no, don't write letters to. Carter Beaufort and expect to get into the Dave Matthews band. Right. But if it's somebody who's working in the New York scene, come spend some time in New York and just hang I agree. out. And whoever your favorite drummer is that has your favorite gig, they have their eyes probably set on a gig above that gig as well. So at some point, you know, one thing that happens when you leave a musical project is you always want to leave them as good as they were when you left. So you want to get a great drummer to fill your spot or at least give the band leaders some names and say, look, these guys and these girls can play the part and they're fantastic human beings. So knowing the drummer, it's not like he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to quit gigging so you can have this gig. 
but the drummer might say, hey, I just got my dream opportunity. Do you want to take over this spot? So yep. I think there's very tasteful ways to do it. So, And then what's Cliff Allman doing right now? Is he just still doing the New York gigging scene? Yeah, I mean, he's doing the same thing he's, he's always done. Actually, the timing for the story, he was in Japan, so he had to get photos taken while he was in Japan. So he's, he's just all over the world. I mean, he's, he might be back in New York for a couple of weeks every few months. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, in the uh, in the beginning of the story, it mentioned that he's a, a SoCal guy, and I immediately thought, like, oh my gosh, if he still lives in San Diego, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive and take some lessons with him, and then it qu- quickly morphed into, nope, I'm in New York or yeah, Japan. Right. I was like, yeah. Alrighty, alrighty, I'm not going there for lessons. But yeah, definitely check out Cliff Allman. Check out and and check out his website, cliffalman.com. That'll link you to his lesson stuff, and it'll also link you to his blog, which is really well thought out. So definitely check that stuff out. So awesome. All right. Well, let's get into some gear review. Now, this is going to be a little different for this uh, the audio portion (laughs) of the gear review. Yeah, a little bit. Because this time, yeah, we're reviewing the new Zildjian L80 low volume cymbals. And uh, I, I don't know how I feel about them yet. I know how I feel about the electric ones. I don't know how I feel about these, so I was really excited to get your review on them and see what you thought because you actually got to play them. Yeah, and I'm 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 kind of the same way. But now that I've I started teaching private lessons one day a week again, okay, uh, and they're all beginners. So I had this realization that getting a, a beginner student on a drum set, but it's not a real drum set. It's got freaking you know foam pads over all the drums and you've got the cymbals covered in foams so you're not hearing any sound they're just they're just whacking on these targets and all right. they want to do is just hit the cymbal like invariably they go off the pad and just wail on the ride cymbal because they just want right. to hear it they want to hear what right. it sounds like i mean a rubber pad has no sound what's the fun in that so right. it's been very recent that i'm thinking okay that, that i get it you need to learn how to play the instrument quietly so you don't kill your ears and kill the other people around you but you also need to get some re- some response from your action. You need to hear some sound because that's what we're doing is we're making sound. We're not we're not dancing, right? Uh, so these symbols to me are the perfect compromise because they really do bring the volume down super quiet. And you'll hear in the demo. I start out with a set of Zildjian A series symbols, and I'm wailing on the symbols. I'm doing like a Stuart Copeland kind of vibe where I'm I'm wailing on the regular symbols. So you hear the mix like that, and then I just replace the symbols with these L80 low volume symbols, and I play exactly the same thing. I'm still wailing, probably even more so on the symbols. Okay, and it's 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 a huge drop in volume, but there's still some sound. It still sounds like symbols. To a degree, enough. Sure, enough yeah, of yeah. a degree. Like the the ride symbol, when you play it really quietly, you can actually get some nice tone out of it. Okay, and they feel like symbols, so it doesn't feel like you're hitting a neoprene pad. So there is rebound. Yeah, they feel like symbols. Response. They definitely feel like. Then the hi hats are weighted that they feel like hi hat symbols. So you actually are learning how to control the foot and the, get them open sound. You can splash them. You get some good chick sound. So I really, really like them. I think. Um, because I've never liked practicing on compromised kits. Either I want to just play on an electronic kit or I want to play on a real kit. I don't want to have to treat my real kit so it gives me like a crappy sound. Right. Um, so these, yeah. I think, are great for teachers or if you just need something to practice at home um, and you just don't want to have to deal, you know, you just can't you can't play full, full volume cymbals. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, the other kind of, I guess, compromise that I saw for these is for the people that – 
have an electric kit, don't want to shell out the money for what are the Zildjian ones called? The electric ones, the uh, Gen 16s. The Gen 16s. Those are pretty expensive. What would be really cool, since these are so low volume, is put these on your electric kit, and then instead of using headphones, just have a small amplifier yeah. for your for your electric kit, and you could you could get the volume of that amp to mix right in with those low volume cymbals, and then you just have a quiet drum set. Yeah, you know, it's not you know the one thing that people will never understand until they try it is that your the volume of your drums isn't really the biggest problem when it comes to the apartment living in flat living and. Uh, it's it's the fact that you're stomping on the floor. Yeah. So no matter how quiet of a material you're hitting, you're stomping on the floor. So unless you're on the ground floor of your apartment, you're always going to have that problem. So this is more of a thing where, hey, the stomping is not a problem. I just need them to be quieter. And you know, I, I did watch your video that you put up on social media with him, and I was actually pretty impressed. I was like, wow, he looks like he's not changing his technique whatsoever. That's the way he's playing very natural and I'm just not hearing very much cymbals. So yeah, they're they're, they're kind of cool. They're pretty cool, and, and, uh, and, and they're not too expensive, right? I mean, you're looking at 300 bucks for the 14 inch hats, 16 inch crash, and then 18 inch kind of ride exactly. Cymbal. Exactly. And they so feel that, they feel pretty durable. durable. I've heard um, from a couple people that I thought these were just bronze versions of the Gen 16s. I haven't confirmed okay. with Zildjian yet, but I, but a couple of drummers have said that they've had both, and these low volumes are actually more durable than the Gen 16s. Oh wow! They're treated to be a little bit more durable. I guess the, whatever the coating is that makes them look bronze adds a little bit of strength. I'll try to confirm that with Zildjian, but that was from two different drummers who've, who've said that. Very cool. Well, let's go ahead and not listen to them. <laughs> Alrighty, well, it's time for Pick of the Week. This is a chance for Mike and I to hip you to some things that are making an impact in our world and just things that maybe you haven't heard about yet. So, Mr. Dawson, what is your Pick of the Week? I picked the Roland BT-1, which is a bar trigger pad. It's a, that you, okay. can, you can attach it to your drum hoop or you can attach it to like a, 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 a mount of some sort and hang it from a cymbal stand. The reason I'm picking it was I played a show last week where I needed to just – I just need to be able to trigger like intro music and a loop okay. in one song. So okay. I didn't want to have to like reprogram my SPDS and then lug that around, have to deal with the extra stand for that. And then I knew the stage was going to be tight because it's a typical rock show where there's nine bands on the bill. Sure. You know, so you've got like five minutes to get set up and you've got to set up in front of two drum sets, that kind of vibe. <laughs> so I didn't want to have to deal with my SPDS, but I have the Roland TM2, which I think I talked about a long time ago yep. on the show. So that that module is a little compact module. It's about the size of I don't know what it is. It's probably six inches square, maybe. So that can fit right into my anything, my cymbal bag, my my briefcase, whatever I'm carrying. And so I loaded the samples into that, and I just needed something that I could just hit and have it start the samples to start the loop. Right. 
And the BT-1 is about the same width as the TM-1 or TM-2, so it's not adding any extra size to your setup, and it just feels great. I could have installed it on the snare drum, so it would have been like right by the hoop, and I could just hit it that way. But what I did was I put it on an external mount and then put... So I had the TM-2 on a basically a cymbal stand bottom. Okay. And then I mounted the BT-1 to that, so I had this really compact... Uh, electronic rig that I could just wow. carry up on stage and put it in. It's, and that's the TM2 is battery powered, so I didn't need to plug it in. Oh wow! So I just sat that up. I just hit the the, the BT1 to start the intro music. Then we got to the song that needed the loop. I just hit it again to start the loop and hit it again to stop it. So it's a great like single trigger, you know, easy to set up, super durable. You know, no no fuss. Uh, I was just going to ask that. So it's a single zone trigger? Yeah, it's just a just a bar, it's just a rubber bar. Okay. You just smack it. <laughs> wow it works so great. it'd be perfect for for hand claps if Anything. you if you just need one thing yeah, yeah you don't awesome, want to have a man. whole pad like an eight inch pad like you have to put around your kit this thing is tiny it's like the size of a probably the size of an iphone maybe oh, okay a little bit bigger than that and who makes it roland roland yep roland bt1 bt1 it's contoured so you can hit you can hook it to a drum if you wanted to i just had it I'm on like a cowboy right mount now. basically very cool oh wow yeah 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 and then that oh, and then that TM two oh, so they sell it as a pack. Yeah, yeah, you can get uh, the TM two and then two BT ones for four hundred bucks. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then you can put your own samples and everything into this uh, TM two. Yeah, it comes with all the what you would want the hand claps, electronic eight hundred eight sounds sure. and stuff. But yeah, it has an SD card slot. You can like okay. I just uploaded the the waveforms from my from Ableton Live that I had, I created them in. That's great. Simple. That's awesome. Super simple. That's very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, my pick of the week this time is something that I've used forever, uh, and then I stopped using it. And so my pick of the week is the TuneBot. Um, just full disclosure, I'm not endorsed by TuneBot whatsoever. I did, however, make their first explanation video uh, for them, and that was mainly because I was a fan of the product, and I just reached out to them and said, hey, all of your videos right now are just clips from you explaining your product at nam very hard to hear would you like me to make you a video and so we did kind of one of those white background apple style videos for them and then uh, they've re-released the TuneBot, and it's a simpler version simpler for the user and it's cheaper too it's 69.99 so the reason why it's my pick of the week is i think at some point i just kind of got sick of tuning and i i got to a point where I just cared if my drums sounded bad, but I didn't care if they sounded stellar. I just wanted them to not sound bad. If they did sound bad, I'd change the heads or I'd tune them a little bit, and that was about it. Well, uh, two nights ago, I had a photo shoot for uh, Casio Interstate Music's catalog. And so it was a a photo shoot between Meinl and Casio. And so I had to break down my new Brooklyn kit. And I I was setting it back up yesterday, and I just thought, okay, I have all the drums taken apart. I might as well tune it up and i grabbed the newest version of the TuneBot, and i haven't used the TuneBot in a while and i got the drums all tuned up it was very easy and when i put them on the stage and started playing i was like oh my god like i i it was my drums sounded stellar i forgot how great drums could sound if they're really in tune and i, I tuned both heads to the exact same pitch but what was great is it wasn't tuning drums to the same pitch is actually really hard when you use a two ply coated head on top and a single ply clear on the bottom. Yeah. 
the pitches don't sound the same when they are the same. Your ear doesn't hear those two materials the same, but the tunebot does. And so, yeah, I put the drums on, and they just were singing. And I, I've just, I was just in heaven. So, I, it, you know, it kind of got me back in the tunebot mix. So it was very cool. And uh, we are both yeah, uh, ha- lovers of the tunebot. That's for sure. You, you have one. I use it every day. Oh wow! Like every cool, every man. every session, every not every gig because sometimes I just show up and play. I don't whatever's there. But if right. if I'm taking a or if like I'm playing when I go down to down south and play with that modern country artist, he has a kid. So I just I just find I just make sure that the drums are where they were when I left them. I just right. know what pitches they're supposed to be because they probably haven't been played in you know six weeks or so. Sure. You know, one thing that I did learn from yesterday was. You know, sometimes it picks up random frequencies. So you tune one tension rod, it's 127 hertz, and then the next tension rod is 190, but you can hear that it's definitely not that. It's picking up random frequencies. And so I used to kind of put my finger in the middle of the drum, and that helped. Well, I just started just taking one piece of Vader Buzzkill and putting it right in the middle of the head when I started tuning. And, Ah. dude, not – I mean, the tuning was so fast and so easy. Like That should be my pick of the week. That's a great idea. Dude, it was, I mean, so Moon Gel or whatever, it was unreal. Not one missed frequency once I did that. Ah, man, we should tell Dave at Toonbot that. Yeah, no doubt. It should come with one piece of clear Vader Buzzkill. (laughs) And be like, put this in the middle of your drum. Every time you tune, you'll never get a random frequency. It was fantastic. So I was really stoked on that. All right, buddy. Well, that's episode 31. Man. Yeah. yeah, So you know that someday we're going to be at like episode 100. Yeah, no, I feel like we're, 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 we're cutting off a little soon here. It's only fifty minutes or so, <laughs> dude. So, I, I mean, I've I've had two bottles of green tea since we started this. You got to let me go. I can't I can't make it much longer. I ripped through that Cliff Almond thing just so I could <laughs> so I could make it to the bathroom in time. Nobody wants to know this stuff. Let's, no, no, no. Uh, All righty. Well, we will be back next week for more of this stuff. Please, if you get a chance, give us a, a rating over on iTunes or wherever you get these podcasts. It it, it just helps more people hear about this stuff, and we really appreciate your questions. So keep sending those in. And until next time, we'll see you soon.